In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin and I'm Amy and this is episode el- episode. <laughs> it's a toughie. <laughs> episode one one one, otherwise known as 111. Yep. I don't know for some reason those three ones together just it, it really a- threw me. You know what? I was like, kind of laughing in my head and then I realized, like, wait, how I, how my brain's not in there. Eleventy one. Eleventy one. A thing. That's it. Yep. That's what it is. The title of our episode is Never Gonna Give You Up. Never Gonna Give You Up. Never Gonna Give You Up. Never Gonna Let You Down. Never Gonna Run Around and Desert You. Oh, oh. yeah. Obviously, we're never giving you up, listeners. Never. It's 111. And you can't give us up even after that terrible rendition. Oh, no, yeah. I, we probably are, are supposed to pay for that, but we're not That's gonna. Right. That's yeah. right. Turn us in. I dare Rick you. Rick Astley would allow this. He would allow it. <laughs> He would, he would, he would. So this song has been in my head and Mm -hmm. it seemed like the perfect theme because obsessions, unhealthy relationships. Yeah. As catchy as the song is, it's also scary. Uh, Super scary. So scary. In the wrong hands, this becomes a threat. A real bad threat. I think even in the right hands. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) This is still a threat and scary. Like, I don't... I am happy, though. You mentioned that this has been in your head because you saw it at a show choir competition. I did. For teenagers. It was... um, So Evan's school put on a a concert and they have... They allow some of... They do the show choir and the other choirs. It's a choir concert. And then they allow some of the seniors to do like duets or solos or whatever. And we got... Rick rolled, which as is you fantastic. said, yes, by a senior who started by singing like an Italian opera song and then record scratch went directly into this song, sang the whole thing while dancing on stage. And I was Blue. impressed. Yeah. And 
a little bit terrified. Yeah. I think. Yeah, sure. That's the right reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And also just impressed with the moxie. And that a, you know, 17-year-old knows who Rick Astley is. That makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah. That that this song is enduring. And I think when he was a one-hit wonder, he thought, I don't know if I'll ever be relevant again. Don't worry, Rick. Us, the people of the world, Mm -hmm. we're never going to give you up. We're never going to give you up. Never going to give you up. Never. And I'm sorry, listeners for one thing about this and oh. that it's an earworm yeah it is too impossible bad. yeah even just reading the title of this it's now in your head for yep. the next couple of weeks so yep. we apologize yep. for that you should just get it on your spotify list yeah. get it out of your system yep. mm-hmm. just take do it, it head on head on is the head way to deal with this <laughs> just take it head on grit your teeth and get on through get through it i got a question for you yeah so as we said this song is by rick astley mm-hmm. do you think it would be perceived differently if it had been released by a woman yeah okay. well first of all it never be would be released by a woman yeah, good call. because yeah. if a woman put this in they'd be like you're a psycho <laughs> you are a True. stage five cleaner. and this was 1987 the fatal attraction era yeah so yeah they would have been like okay no are you trying gonna, to boil yeah. a bunny exactly because i don't think it's funny right yeah they would not have liked it and it would not become a cult hit it would mm-hmm. become like the theme for the movie about the serial killer that Charlize theron was in <laughs> like that's what it would be it would never you're be right. It would never be this great catchy thing and that that lady's face would not be on t-shirts with the 80s writing Mm-mm. and everybody be thinking it's cool. Yeah. They'd be like, that is depressing that is and scary. You, That's weird. Yeah. That's weird. You're right. It would be the soundtrack for every scary female mm-hmm. on the cinematic screen. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It would just never work the other that's way. Because of society. It does, the words don't change. The meaning doesn't change. That guy's a psycho. Yeah. Let's not lose but it. But as we know, we've talked about like if, it, if guys express even a, a little bit of effort. Oh my God. Best thing ever. How sweet are they? It's so great. That's so wonderful. I mean, that's why it took so long to get laws for stalking. Yeah. Because people were just like, he likes you a he lot. He likes you. Oh, he's picking you up all the time. He likes you. He showed you. up in your house. That's amazing. Oh, that's so sweet. He just really, really digs you. He wanted to be there when you got home. That's so nice. Yeah. Oh, he won't leave you alone. You got to give him a chance. You got to give him a chance. So as a theme, I, that's why I loved it. Because unhealthy attachment. Totally the whole unhealthy. song's about that. Yes. But that's also why it would never be released by female. Because yeah, we call. would get put in that. And maybe also we wouldn't write it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we'd probably be like, this seems excessive, right? I don't... <laughs> be like, I'd be freaked out if a dude said this to or, me. Or as a female, we understand that we probably need to add caveats. Like, never going to give you up unless. Yeah. <laughs> unless I get caught by the police. Yeah. Never going to give you up unless I find out you murder people. Right. Never going to give you up uh-huh. unless you sneak into my house. <laughs> never going to give you up. You know, there's things that... Yeah. 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 Well, we're kind of talking about that, about yeah. weird relationship things that we romanticize. Is there a relationship or dating action that's romanticized in society that is an absolute no for you? Like, absolutely not. All of them? <laughs> Pretty much? I think, you know, I've gone on record as being sort of anti-romance. All of the sure, signs sure. of romance. Okay. All of the flowers, the chivalry, mm-hmm. all of the thing. I think it's fake. I think it sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't want any part of it. Mm-hmm. I also have mentioned that I I just personally have never been interested in marriage, in having kids, right. all of the things that relationships and dating are supposed to lead to. Mm-hmm. Okay. But 
So the fact that I li- I don't like any of that, I also have a, a very special place reserved in hell for all proposals. And I mean uh, wedding proposals. Uh-huh. I mean promposals, which thankfully was not a thing when what we were kids. What is that? That is terrible. It's awful. So bad. So I don't bad. like the fact that all the proposals are men making a little bit of effort to show how much they want the girl. And then the girl is like, oh, okay, I guess. And then yeah. off they go. You're put in a position you can't say no. Yeah. It's not really a proposal because right. there's no option for you and to it's not do it public and mm-hmm. so yeah you're embarrassed mm-hmm. if you don't 100 mm-hmm. percent. yeah i think you hit on something really important which is the promposal which has become it's a so... thing and i i'm just imagining me as a 16 or 17 year old if someone had done and listen i didn't date a lot in high school okay <laughs> let's be clear on this uh-huh. i was very terrified by the idea of dating yeah just generally i was sure. terrified by most people Fair. For everything. Fair. If in that terror I had been given a promposal of some kind, I, I don't think I would have showed my face. I think I would have considered running away for the hills, like, mm-hmm. you know, putting a knapsack together on a stick and just running and like, you mm-hmm. know, riding the rails, just going off into the wilderness because. Yes. So gross. Mm-hmm. And scary. Yeah. And then, yeah, you have to agree to it and then you have to do it. And then you have to do the thing Ugh. no yeah absolutely and you and i have talked about too that like proposals are such a big deal because then it feels like that's the last thing that guys have to do mm-hmm. they don't have to do anything right, else right and it's another thing that i feel like falls into sort of this instagram life like yes. you want to be able to take pictures and like oh tell me how he proposed like it's this big thing and it's like Ugh. well truthfully shouldn't that be something that's sort of just between the two yes. of you like hey this is a conversation like nobody wants to know how you guys decided on your couch at homemakers no 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 interest and i don't mean to sound unromantic but this is kind of the same thing yep. it's actually a business transaction in yeah. a lot of ways and you've probably talked about this leading up yes. to this very public right. instagrammable thing yeah so it just it's so fake it's so stupid yeah Ugh. exactly so i have a question for you Erin. Mm-hmm. same question in fact uh-huh. are there actions relationship dating actions romanticized but also a hard pass for you yeah i it, it's very similar okay. and for me it's just it's it's this very public declarations like Ugh. that are on facebook like yeah. i love this guy and oh, here's God. why oh, or God. you know I, I can't i just i can't do that like Mm-mm. I get really weirded out. I get really uncomfortable. Even when I read someone else's, it makes me feel weird and uncomfortable. And I think it's because it feels like voyeuristic or something. Mm -hmm. Like I'm watching something I'm not supposed to. Um, And I think also it makes me feel that way in that context because it feels so performative Mm -hmm. and so it always makes me feel like you're trying to cover something up. Even if you're not, you you could have a great relationship. I don't know. It just feels very weird. I feel the exact same way where I just feel, I don't trust it. I don't trust what I'm seeing and reading. Like, yeah, you may feel that way, but are you just doing this because you had a fight last night and you need to like somehow smooth the waters or something like that? Like, I just don't, I don't trust it. I just don't need like any, I just don't need to do it, Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm. And it makes me very uncomfortable. And it's similar in your, like, the ones prior to social media may be uncomfortable too. Like the public deck, like being obvious, like a promposal, Mm -hmm. I would have lost my mind. Yeah. I wouldn't have even thought it was for me. There's a high chance I would have just walked away. I would have just been looking around like, oh, I got to get out of here because something big is happening and it's not for me. What is this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that may speak to, you know, our our self-esteem at the time, but... Also, also, I would hope that, yeah, it would be clear that that's not 
you know, something <laughs> that you should do for me ever. <laughs> like, don't do that. No. No, I need to know certain things for my like anxiety i need to know certain how certain things are going to go i just i don't love like i'm just not good with attention like that and so it's an uncomfortable thing it doesn't make me feel endeared to you it doesn't make me feel like we have this great relationship it makes me feel like i'm showboating and i'm trying to (laughs) (laughs) i know how you love to showboat yeah and i make like try and cover something up with my showboating peacock feathers (laughs) and i don't like it i don't like it (laughs) <laughs> oh Aaron that's what I always say what a showboater she's I know. showboats all, all the, time. the time showboating around packing around <laughs> get my feathers out and showboating <laughs> it's just not right oh my god uh, yeah I absolutely agree with everything you said I also am just not a big fan of surprises and those yeah, kinds of things yeah. are like surprising and no I don't like that at all I want to be able to plan and you know again this yeah. is indicative of who I am but yeah. I need to plan things I think also as I've gotten older it's one of those things that I've come to learn more about myself because society does such a good job right of telling us that we should like these things yeah, or this exactly. is the way you should have accept love and I've discovered and I can give voice to things that I appreciate more yeah which and I need those situations more than I need some kind of public declaration like I just need you to be there for me and not in an overpowering way but just when I need you for certain things you know like and you know that and you're there and that's how it needs to be yeah you know and I have a real need to be really seen you know to be understood and to seen and and all of that stuff feels like it it could it could be for any woman it could be for any person yes whereas if you actually knew me if you knew what I needed and wanted you would know first I don't want any of that bullshit Mm -hmm. and second then you might be able to connect with me in the way that we both need right yeah yes exactly yeah Yeah. that's a really good way to put it I need to feel seen and if you're making a public direct declaration you didn't see me nope sure didn't you just you're seeing who you want to see Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i might i might decide that you're a stalker Uh, uh, very true which brings me to a question for you oh let's hear it do you think that you would make a good stalker i went yes and no on this okay and i'm thinking specifically of physically stalking like following someone around okay Okay. yes not like cyber stalking or even the light stalking that one does on google okay Okay. no i'm (laughs) talking we're calling that light stalking (laughs) it's just light just light Uh you know Mm -hmm. if we're talking physical stalking i think that what's working for me and Mm -hmm. what would go well is my age because you and i have talked about we are invisible Mm -hmm. now we mm-hmm. could go around in the world and no one is going to take a second look at us. Nope. So I could slip in and out of places and follow whoever I am stalking quite easily. Yes, that's very true. Right. We've said it. We make great private investigators now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, on the negative side uh-huh. is the fact of my physical body in which I am quite klutzy. Mm. I am very mm-hmm. awkward. Okay. I'm distracted easily. I'm not uh, going to be able to keep my focus on whoever I'm there stalking. There is that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do have to kind of have laser focus. Yeah. And yeah. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to have that laser focus. Plus, because I'm out in the world, I'm going to want to just go home. Yeah. I'm going to want to go hit, you know, watch whatever show I've been watching. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be way more entertaining than whoever I'm stalking. That's true. So really, I think it's my own <laughs> limitations of attention okay. and my desire for routine, as well as a lack of physical coordination that is going to make me not a great stalker. 
I also think you forgot that your bladder is not going to allow you to Oh my do God, this. you're right. Yeah. Yeah, where are you going to pee when you're out stalking? Yeah, the minute I have to go to the bathroom, it's over. We're, the stalking exactly. is done. Yeah. Because I am pushing people out the way to find a public bathroom. Yeah, that's it. And then I'm just like, well, I lost it. I'm going home. You're absolutely right. Only until we've redesigned the human body, as we talked about last yes. episode. Yes. Can we do that? Yeah. And then maybe we could take that off and work yeah. on the other things to get you uh, to be a good stalker. That also rules out any sort of stakeout. I know. Right? I have Like if that. we were talking about being mm-hmm. investigators because we are invisible, mm-hmm. we're going to have to, in, you know, bring mm-hmm. a porta potty or something yeah. with us on a stakeout. Yeah, because otherwise. Or we're going to have to just not drink anything that day like in preparation that's that still we not going to work because then i get nervous <gasps> true and then the bladder's like hey you got nothing in here but i'm going to make it feel like you got to yeah pee. you're right yeah oh no i know maybe the best is like a depends situation <gasps> there you go we could do that yeah i mean that might feel good it might feel like <laughs> i oh. feel really weird or it might feel good we don't know <laughs> But in that situation, if we were being paid and we had to get the information, I feel like we That's could, true. We could power through. That's a good point. If we are thinking about customer service, yes. then we could power yes. through. Yes, because there is nothing that I like more than succeeding at my job. <laughs> so Even if it's denying your bodily needs. Even if I have to wear a diaper. Yeah. That's fine. And listen, we could charge it as an expense. You're like, for yes. excellent investigative sp- skills... Well, really, what should happen is that we probably need to do a deep dive prior to the first stakeout, and mm-hmm. we need to try all of the different kinds of adult yeah, underwear. Yeah. We need to try the ones that they advertise that are supposed to be nice looking. We need right. to all, so that we can make sure we're getting the best product. Exactly. Yeah. And that's all a work expense. It's all a work expense. You're like, listen, this is just research. Yeah, it's, it's just part, part of it. it. Yeah. It's just part of this it. This is stalking 101. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You want me to get this information? Let me do it my way. Okay. <laughs> We're going to end up at the same spot. so. And that's a good point because if I'm with you, I won't be distracted as easily so I could focus better. Yeah. And if we've got the peeing situation down, okay, I'm back too. We're going to be investigators. It's going to be great. Yeah. Because we're invisible. Yeah. Yep. No, because yeah, we're that's in our perfect. 40s, yeah. no one sees us. Yeah. And we can take that to our advantage. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key too is that we would be good at stalking for a purpose. If I'm just stalking someone because I want to be with them, nah. I, no. That's too much effort. I'm not going to do that. No. No. I'm not going to do it. mm I'll be like, cool, I'm at home when you're done. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't care whatever you get up to. Like, just (laughs) whatever you get up to. I don't care. Just don't bring it. You're out showboating. I don't care. I'm at home. You're showing off your feathers (laughs) like a peacock. You do your thing, and then I'll be at home. I'm at home peeing (laughs) and watching TV. Peeing and watching TV and trying to figure out how to change my bladder. Yeah. Yeah. Testing all the adult important work. Yeah. Important work. (laughs) I was going to try and figure out how to transition from adult diapers to my fiction pick. And there really is no, no, no transition. It feels just like a hard pivot. Right. I wouldn't (laughs) want to insult this author. With that. Right. Because we know this author for my fiction pick. Okay. Her name is Celia Lasky. And she wrote Under the Rainbow. Mm -hmm. And we talked to her a while back. She is the one who waxed poetic about Taco Bell as her pop culture pick. And it just sent us into... It was delightful. It was wonderful. No one had ever gone that route. No. And I was like, I don't know why. Was it Quesarita that she loved so much? Was that yeah. Was? yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah, it was Something two things like that. together. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. I was like, what? And she's like, I get them all the time. Yeah. She was talking about how she and her wife just are ordering it all the, the time, time. And that's their pop culture. And it was like, perfect. I love that. Yeah. I hadn't considered it, but... 
So because we love Celia Lasky, we got an early look <gasps> at her next book, which is another novel, and it's called So Happy for You. Mm-hmm. Comes out in June. That title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've got two friends, Robin and Ellie, and they've been friends since childhood. But over time, they've grown apart, mm-hmm. as friends do. Partly because, though, of an obsessive interest of Ellie's. Mm-hmm. And it's good to mention that we are in sort of an alternate reality where divorce rates have jumped so high, like up to the high 70% and birth rates so low that the government has intervened oh. and they're pushing marriage hardcore. Okay. Like you're seeing tax and money benefits. Yeah. But you're also seeing like films, movies, everything all about happy marriages and all like, oh, you know, like yeah. really pushing like marriage is the end all be all. Okay. And you got to commit and all that kind of stuff. And as part of that, Because, of course, girls are bearing a lot of the brunt of this. Mm -hmm. They're told that nothing else matters except marriage. And as part of this, though, all sorts of weird superstitions and behaviors have taken hold. Like sacrificing a rabbit to ensure a long and healthy marriage. Oh. Or in the darker corners of the internet, maybe even rumors of murder. So Robin and Ellie meet one night. Ellie's engaged and she wants Robin to be her maid of honor. While this has been happening, by the way, Robin has been very anti-marriage. She and her girlfriend have been together for a long time. She's happy, but she wants nothing to do with marriage. And in fact, as part of her postgraduate work, she's been researching some of these rituals and superstitions in the wedding industry. So she does not want to do this, but as often happens in friendships, okay, great, let's do it. She does. Even as the buildup to the wedding gets weirder and weirder, and Ellie gets more and more obsessive, even scary... Until finally it's the wedding weekend and Robin is convinced Ellie is trying to kill her. Oh. This is funny. This is dark. It's super awkward. It's for anyone who's been forced to go to a wedding they don't want to go to. Especially if you have to participate in a wedding you don't want to participate in. Wow. So really everyone in the world. Yeah. That's who this is for. Everyone. Yeah. I chose it for the scene. And I can't reveal much more than that because there's so many, you know, like wonderful like twists and stuff like that. It already sounds amazing. I chose it for this theme because I think it takes our current obsession with Mm -hmm. weddings and the insane wedding industry to a hilarious and scary new height. And it takes on the trope of the bridezilla, right? And Mm -hmm. just runs with it. There's unhealthy obsessions on the part of Ellie, almost possessed. What's great, though, is we see why. Like, we understand what's happening. We understand the forces at play behind these obsessions. And we also see why the friendship has been important in the past and Mm. why it might be worth keeping and why Robin keeps going. So we got female friendships, wedding drama, dark humor, maybe even murder. Everything you want. Yeah. I imagine Celia Lasky was eating some quesaritas while she wrote this. I hope so. And enjoying herself thoroughly as she got to get real weird. I Yeah sounds like it but it sounds great i love all of that well the book um that i'm brought this week is pretty frontless um it was just published in february 2022 um it's new it's kind of in this category this new one that's emerging called social horror where it's kind of like based on things that are happening in society and you know like and then playing on that like a psychological thriller okay you know really I guess narrowing that theme a little bit. It's called Cherish Farah by Bethany C. Morrow. And this is the story of these two friends. Farah's in high school and her best friend is Cherish. And they live in a very wealthy area and attend private school. 
And they have a really deep, deep, very special friendship because they are the only black girls in this country club community. However, their home lives are very, very, very different. Cherish was adopted at birth by a very wealthy, popular white family. Oh, boy. And Farrah, on the other hand, is the only black girl with black parents. So as much as they're great, great friends, there are some big divides in their relationship that they can't quite understand. And Farrah's parents are also wealthy, but just not at the level of Cherish's. They just have money upon money upon money, which is why Farrah often refers to Cherish as WGS or white girl spoiled (laughs) because her parents are able to give her whatever she wants, whenever she wants, without any worries. So we it opens up and we find out that Farrah's parents are facing a foreclosure in their house due to a job loss in the family. And so Farrah sees this as an opportunity. She realizes that her family might have to move away from the area for a different job. And she sees this as an opportunity to maybe get to stay with Cherish to finish out high school and to be intimately, you know, involved in their relationship, like take the bond even deeper. And she also is kind of deciding to do it because she has this idea that she sort of deserves the life that Cherish has, maybe sure. more than Cherish does. Okay. And Farrah has this idea that she's kind of a puppet master. Like she's able to control Cherish because she doesn't have to think about anything too deeply because everything's provided for her. Mm-hmm. So she thinks this whole time in their relationship, she's been pulling the strings. And I will tell you that th- their relationship is absolutely bananas. It is the weirdest, darkest unhealthy in a lot of ways but also very believable i think especially for females that have been through that have deep friendships you can see sometimes especially in younger relationships how that can ebb and flow between healthy and unhealthy and codependent and independent so they do have this very very deep bond that is very true but they both exploit it for their own purposes and we're constantly as the reader you're going kind of back and forth on who you think is really in charge or what's happening so the fate of farah and her future living situation basically go off the rails as she realizes that cherish and maybe cherish's family have different motives that she doesn't understand and that's where i'll leave it because i can't tell you anything else except to say it's creepy and it's twisty and it's dark and it's weird and it's like everything you want it to be and it's incredibly propulsive like I read it so fast because I just kept thinking what what is happening I have to know and it's one of those great books where no one is particularly likable but also it makes you think but what do people deserve like Mm -hmm. just if someone's not likable does that mean that these things are okay Mm. so plays a lot on that obviously i picked it for this theme because their bond is super unhealthy but also relentless like Mm -hmm. they won't let each other be and they've lost their sense of self and they're like one unit in a way that is not allowing them to grow any further they're operating as one unit without ever recognizing their individuality anymore i mean i could see a scene in this book where these two sing this song to each other. They sing Never Gonna Give You Up. I could see that happening Ooh. because it's that and that it would be creepy as it that song can be. Yeah. Singing this song to someone would be very creepy no matter who that someone is. Right. Huh. That's how I always pictured this song yeah. being sung and it's always been kind of But I like, bet some people don't get the creepy factor. Like they think that it's romantic yeah, in yeah, some way. Yeah. You know it was probably like someone's wedding song. I was just thinking that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like how uh, 
every breath you take mm-hmm. like the super creepy song uh-huh. from the police like tons of people use it in their wedding and don't really see it and like sting once said like the song is fucked yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking of the shania twain one like so glad we made it like it's all about how they had this terrible relationship and oh, now God. they're together and i'm like this is what not, you want at your no, wedding no this is not good you guys fought a lot during yeah. the wedding planning okay, okay. great all right well so you made it gonna, so yay. glad you made it what happens now yeah divorce yeah Uh uh-huh yeah so creepy crazy but also super interesting really fun in a lot of ways and i would guess i cannot believe that this won't be adapted because it's so weird but it would be so powerful on screen too i think Excellent. I like the idea of, you know, I mean, we've talked a lot about like likability and mm-hmm. unlikability, but especially when it comes to obsession, because like you said, like if a woman sang this song about obsession or not even about obsession, but about right. you know, bordering yeah. on obsession, she would be scary and unlikable because she's obsessed. Yes. Yeah. And they're both. It's it takes that unlikable character to a whole new level because there's really no one to root for. Mm hmm. You're just sort of weirded out all the way through. And I think that that's almost more accurate to situations. I mean, I think our minds want to create a hero all the time or someone we want to root for when sometimes there just isn't anyone to root for. Like it's just weird and you all need to stop. Stop showboating. (laughs) Put your feathers away. That's a really good point. In my book, they're like the main person that you're supposed to identify with, Robin, like she can get real annoying because like when she's interacting with people who don't that don't share the same opinions as her, like she takes it upon herself to try and convince them, even knowing like that's not going to work. It's yeah. not going to change. Right. Like someone starts going off about vaccines causing you know autism and stuff. So she goes to a bookstore to buy her books to try and change her mind and brings it back to the woman. The woman's like, what the f- I'm not I'm not reading this. What yeah, are you doing? What, yeah. And so as you're watching this, you're like, oh, honey, come no, on now. No, no. No. I want to root for you, but stop this. I also feel like that's another thing that comes with, like, later as you're getting older as an adult is you realize that, like, you don't have to change everyone's mind. Mm -mm. Some people are just going to have different views. And it's not – I think when you're younger, you have this altruistic idea that that's inauthentic if you don't say something or you don't speak out. When in reality – it's just an exercise in futility for everyone. So save your breath. Yeah. Because for something fun. Like swimming or scuba diving. Or peacocking. Or peacocking and showboating <laughs> with people who want to see it. Exactly. You have no idea how much breath it takes to peacock. To peacock. That's right. <laughs> I was telling you um, before this that I went to a bar last night for the first time in a long time. You did. I felt like a peacock just running around with my feathers like, look Get at it. me. I got um, a drink. There's music going on. Here we go. I am not in my house. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's where I was at. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, I'm living my best life right now. Yes. That's when Show you, know you made a good decision to yeah. like that. Okay, I was ready because yeah. if I feel good, then that means I should have done this. Mm-hmm. Because too many times you can go and be like, I knew I shouldn't have oh, come. So <laughs> many times. But they chose a bar that I like. It was, you know, my fellas. Like, it was just wonderful. Very nice. Peacocking away. Peacocking and showboating. Show <laughs> Oh, boy. So for other genre pick. Yes. I got a doozy for you. But this is an important one. Okay. It's a little hard. But I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest because the title is Men Who Hate Women. 
From incels to pickup artists, the truth about extreme misogyny and how it affects us all. From Laura Bates from 2020. So hang in there, everyone. Need to tell you about this. Mm -hmm. Short summary is that Laura Bates researches and infiltrates the manosphere. And we're talking a massive web of online groups that are like your men's rights activists, your pickup artists, your trolls, your incels, which if you don't know, there's, they call themselves incels. They're involuntarily celibate because they feel like, you know, we owe them sex. Yeah. Wait, what? Yes. Whole subgroup of men who have not found what they're seeking in the romantic world. Okay. And it is women's fault. So they're calling themselves involuntarily celibate because we won't give it up to them. Oh, uh-huh. okay. It took me a minute to get there, yeah. and now I'm there, uh-huh. and I can see why it's illogical on every level. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But they are dangerous, and I'll tell you Ooh, more about this. Yeah, I can see where that's going. Uh huh. So uh, these are men that are in some way vulnerable, mm-hmm. right? Like, and they are quickly radicalized by dark corners of the web into just straight up women haters. And some of them go on to commit mass murders and terrorist acts because they've been radicalized and mm-hmm. because they now hate women so badly and women are the source of all terrible things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the book looks at the movement as a whole and at individual groups, each with different philosophies and actions, but all with, you know, us, the common enemy. Mm-hmm. And she looks at what stories are being told in these groups and how they're attracting men, how they're grooming boys and young women, and how they're spreading into media and government. And what really struck me is she spends a lot of time in these chat rooms, in these groups, posing as a man. And to really try and get insight into what's happening, to get beyond the rhetoric, to get beyond like, you know, mm-hmm. just all the shit that's being said. And talking to men that are in it, but then also talking to men who got out. Oh, And men okay. who have discovered, like, found, like, oh, man, like, that was a real bad left turn. And here I am. And now I'm trying to change things. Okay. okay? All right. Like I said, this is intense. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Mm-hmm. But it's also necessary to understand what's happening right now in terms of the cultural backlash against women and women's rights, abortion rights, just everything in our political sphere right. in some way relates to this. Okay. And I chose it for this theme because I think ultimately these groups start with because the men in them are obsessed with women. Mm-hmm. They're obsessed with trying to get women, and then they become obsessed with punishing women for some sort of perceived rejection. Mm-hmm. They're obsessed with the idea that we basically owe them, mm-hmm. that women are owed to them, and that we exist for our ben- for their benefit. And it sounds super antiquated. You wouldn't think that this is taking hold, but it absolutely is. The stuff she's finding in these groups are like parroting and doubling down on every terrible idea that's ever been said about women. It's just bringing it right back into the world. And it's attractive because I think if you look at some of the roots of racism and xenophobia, People want someone else to point to for the problems in the world. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to look at themselves as higher than other people. Yeah, right? sure. So these men and boys, they may be vulnerable or hurting in some way. Mm-hmm. And they they feel like they want to feel like they're better than somebody. Mm-hmm. And here we are. We're easy targets. Mm-hmm. So they're owed better. Their life sucks because of us. So boom, we're going to go out and kill somebody. People. Uh. It's deeply unhealthy. Yeah. On a personal level, but also on a societal level. Oh. It is nice to know that some people have given this up. Right. Yeah. On. That was surprised yeah. to me. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's really fascinating, deeply troubling, but also it, it really does shed a lot of light on 
the last five, 10 years of what's going on mm. in the world. And some of the things that we're seeing, you know, just in congressional hearings like this week's, you know, confirmation hearings, just the inanity that is coming out of people's mouths. A lot of it can be related to this. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that is deep. It is heavy, but necessary. Yes. And there's a lot of peacocking of those men out on the Reddit, 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 Reddit subgroups. Yeah. What a place. It's bad news. And it. Yeah, as I said, you know, reading it, it it can be a very uncomfortable experience. You know, if you kind of step back, it's fine. But every once in a while, I'll be like, this is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Did it take you a long time to read it? Like, did did. you have to take it in sections? Yeah, take it in sections. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Makes sense. Okay. I mean, it sounds really interesting and what a way to like immerse yourself and do it. But yeah, I can see why. And it reminds me when we talked to A.E. Osworth. Yeah. They were talking about how they kind of delved into the manosphere Mm -hmm. to get that collective voice that they used for um, We Are Watching Eliza Bright. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it comes from these groups. And they were talking in our interview with them about like, yeah, that was intense, like coming into these groups. And that's what Laura Bates does. She really dug into this for years. Which had to be so. imagine? No. Like the damage to her. I just feel like having, I mean, it's hard enough to read. It, but then imagine researching it and immersing yourself that in that all the time. Yeah, that would be so draining. I hope she's seeing a counselor for her mental health because Me too. yeah, I hope she's yeah doing a lot of self recovering care after that. Because yeah. wow, Whew. and I hope she never talks to a man ever again. Ever again. Nope. Ever nope. again. Done. Uh, well, I decided. You know, why not give the people what they want? Oh, another true crime book. Ah! <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. So this one is called The Other, Dr. Gilmer. (laughs) Two Men, a Murder, and an Unlikely Fight for Justice Mm. by Benjamin Gilmer. This was published March 2022, and this is a weird one. I will tell you that. Mm -hmm. This is the story of two Dr. Gilmers that end up both practicing out of the same small rural town in North Carolina, but not at the same time. The first Dr. Gilmer, Vince leaves the practice after he murders his father and leaves him in a ditch and then returns to work for a few days before he's caught. During this time, the other Dr. Gilmer, Benjamin, is completing his residency in medical training and about 10 years into the first Dr. Gilmer's sentence, interviews at this rural clinic and finds out about the other Dr. Gilmer. They're not related. The name is spelled the exact same way. All of it, right? Super weird. He ends up taking the job, and from there, things get weird because patients obviously are a little bit weirded out because it is the same name. He's saying it's not. But also, everyone in the town had nothing but wonderful things to say about the first Dr. Gilmore. They're all still 10 years later trying to figure out what happened. Like, why did this murder even happen? What happened to this guy? Because he was so kind and so wonderful and... You know, he dealt with so many of the problems that face really small rural areas in terms of medical care. He would do house calls. He was he purposely did hours um, outside of normal daytime so that, you know, blue collar workers were able to come and get the care that they needed. He did Saturday clinics. He would frequently, you know, deliver prescriptions to people, whatever he needed to do. So people had a lot of really kind, wonderful things to say about him. So when Ben Gilmer, Dr. Ben Gilmer takes over, I, it seems when you're reading it that he might have sort of used that as a coping mechanism to take the job was kind of like putting this guy aside like clearly he's a murderer. So then when he's faced with this idea that like we don't understand what happened, 
it kind of opens up his imagination to everything. Like, is this guy really like a psycho? Like, am I safe? Is, are, is my family safe? What have I done? Like, oh why did gosh. I come? Yeah. And he kind of goes down a deep rabbit hole where he's really getting deep into it and kind of freaking himself out. So as he's this obsession is growing, he ends up working with um, Sarah Koenig from This American Life. Oh, yeah. Pre-serial before she did the Adnan story. Uh, because they're going to do a story about these two Dr. Gilmers, you know, and the murder and all that. And through this, he sort of gets an, uh, a chance to visit Dr. Gilmer in prison and start speaking to him. And when he does that, he realizes there's something deeply wrong here. Like there's a mental illness that has gone undiagnosed and no one's discussing it. And he's deteriorating and getting worse and worse and worse because he's not getting any care. And so he sort of becomes an advocate of saying like, this is the reason and here's why. And, it, you know, these are the signs, symptoms, all of these things. And he does a lot of like independent verification because he's aware that he might not be a reliable narrator uh -huh. in a lot of the ways because he's too deep. Um, he takes the diagnosis, like doesn't say who it is and has lots of different people review it. And most of them come to the same conclusion that he did. So it's a really interesting story about, to me, so many aspects of true crime. One, like this crazy, weird personal connection that you don't know this person, you're not related, but then you're working in the job. Yeah. And like as much as we like to watch Dateline and we like to take in true crime, when you're really faced with it up close, that feeling of safety that is no longer there because you're dealing with something unknown. The second part that I love is that there which happens a lot in crimes where people say, I don't, I don't understand. Like they were a great person or I never saw this coming or I don't, I don't know what happened. I, you know, they were great to me. A whole section of the book is really devoted to that idea that a lot of times we don't know what's going on and we don't do a good job, especially in the American justice system of taking the time to figure that out. It's mm -hmm. very punitive and not rehabilitative. So and then we hope that these people are going to be fine if they get out. Yeah. Now, obviously, in his case with the murder, he's, you know, he's serving a life sentence. He's not probably going to get out. But does that mean that he shouldn't have care, that we should allow him to deteriorate? So there's all of those kinds of questions going on. There's also this, I think, which is really interesting, kind of where the narrator goes, Dr. Gilmer, how deep he gets in. Uh, to this obsession and to finding this out and helping him almost to the detriment of like his family wow. and his practice. And I think that there's that intensity sometimes with the amount of true crime that we take in or how interested we are that sometimes it does sort of border on obsession uh -huh. and and that can be good in a lot of ways because it can bring advocates to the front and it can be damaging personally in a lot of ways because it's not a healthy obsession to have. It's yeah. probably not a healthy way to fun time it's a really really interesting story i think it's interesting you know that this obsession drove him to the to find answers and to help this person but also really examine himself as a person like what are you secure and not secure with you know why did you take this job at a clinic with the same name like why did you think that was a good idea wow. yeah it is it's interesting it's really well done i will say that i think it's I'll be interested if he maybe follows it up with some kind of sequel because it felt like in some of the parts of the book, he hasn't entirely dealt with everything that he really yeah. happened. Yeah. Like he's still working through it, which I think is a very natural reaction sure. to all of this. So I'll be interested to see if he gets further down the line with it and, you know, if if any more comes to the surface or he thinks. That's a good point because I imagine there was a 
bit of pressure to let's tell the story now. Like yeah. let's yeah. You know, well, get it and, out there and and when he was working with This American Life, they were kind of interested in a different aspect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they were done, they were like, hey, it's your story. It's your information now. Like, you do with it. What, and he couldn't let it go. Like, he was like, mm-hmm. I need to keep, I want to keep doing this. I want to keep figuring out what's going on with him. And so he kept that relationship with Dr. Gilmer so he could visit him, so he could figure out, you know, what was happening. Um, yeah, it's a it's a twist, I'll tell you that. It's got some twists in there, and it's an, a, a very personal story that illustrates a lot of the big picture problems Mm -hmm. with the American justice system. So got two thoughts. Mm -hmm. One, I think, you know, you mentioned how like often we don't necessarily take the time to find out like what actually happened. I think that especially because society is so obsessed with true crime now, we just want to know what happened, who did it? Not necessarily like, is there some mental stuff we need to address? Like Uh what's happening here? So that's an interesting point. Other thought is a question. Would you ever take a job of someone that had your name? And turned out to be a murderer? Well, Uh, I mean, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. I don't know. I might. It depends on the job and the place. I don't know. He convinced himself to take it because he saw this need. You know, this Mm -hmm. community, after this doctor got arrested, they had a small practice, but the doctors were spread thin and they had to go to other areas. So they didn't have consistent care. And that was important to him. He And he had also done a rotation in a... um, psychiatric hospital so he was also interested in that part so i can see why it appealed to him but i can also see that like if you were talking to a therapist and you said this i feel like they would say that's a really unhealthy thing to do <laughs> like you're that's a really not good connection to make like there's another job that's meant for you you know yeah and i'm not a superstitious person i don't believe in like ghosts or the afterlife or anything but something in me like, it would be weird. I'm like, I feel like I would be inviting a horror movie of some kind right. to do that. Like, something is going to happen here. Yeah. Like, we're messing with forces we don't understand. And he was, like, great with it. And then precipitating event that caused his, like, obsession to kick off was that a patient that was very, very fond of the first Dr. Gilmer said that he heard that there was something was going to happen and he was getting out in, like, two years. And this, like, spun been out like what i didn't i thought he was away for life so this was never going to be an issue Mm -hmm. so then he was like should i be protecting my family like is he gonna like want his practice like what does that mean so that's really kicks it off and then starts this real like deep dive into kind of madness in a way wow yeah it is it's very powerful because it's written by him that you know by dr ben gilmer that went through it it's a very weird interesting look it would be interesting to get his family's perspective on like Mm -hmm. as they watch him become more and more obsessed with this and like you know Mm -hmm. what they're thinking about all this yeah and you you don't get that a lot you get little because you get it from him so you can't really it's his is it's his perception of what his wife was saying and and there are times where he's honest about the fact that she was like like we've lost you where are Mm -hmm. you like you're not the same person i mean he had kids and stuff and he took his kids to meet this guy at different times. Like, that's, yeah, I mean, you got some things going on. So it's, it's you know, and I'm not, that's not a judgment by any means. It's just like, you got in pretty deep. Yeah, yeah, so, you sure did. Yeah. Wow. Woo! That's all I have to say. It's a goodie. It's, it's a doozy. Oh, boy. It's a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> well, my pop culture pick has to do with murder. Ooh. Murder. Murder. It's called The After Party. 
from oh, Apple TV Plus yeah. started earlier this year. Okay. Okay. Imagine this. It's the 15-year high school reunion, which is a weird... Barf. Yeah, okay. exactly. All of that. Okay. For a group of people in Bay Area, California. Okay. And Xavier, mm. played by Dave Franco, Ooh. was a former nerd slash loser. Now he's become an international pop star and a movie oh, star. Oh, boy. And he's come back to lord it over. Okay. He arrives via helicopter, well, for example. as all ballers do. Yes. <laughs> and he has an after party for a few select folks at his amazing cliffside house. And at the start of the show, he's found dead at the bottom of the cliff. Mm. So mm. Detective Donner... Helicopter who, accident? Uh, no. Okay. Nope. <laughs> Detective Donner... Who is Tiffany Haddish? Ooh, is convinced, oh, yeah, yeah, is convinced that it's murder. Okay, okay. And she's going to talk to everyone at the after party. She says that everyone has their own version of events all the time, right? Sure. We have our own mind movie. Mm-hmm. So she wants to hear everyone's. So she and her partner John Early get oh. to work, and one by one she talks to the guests, and we get a different version of the night's events in the style of a different movie. Okay. So for Anique, who is Sam Richardson. There's a romantic comedy where he's trying to take a shot at his high school crush that just never happened. Mm. For Brett, who is Ike Barinholtz, tells an action movie where he's the star. He's trying to win back his family, protect his daughter in lots of car chases. Okay. For Jasper, who is Ben Schwartz. Oh, yes. It's a musical where he's trying to get Xavier to bless his new track. Uh, Complete with three original songs, which I have in my head, by oh, the way. Yeah. Amazing. Chelsea, Ilana Glazer, tells a psychological thriller where she's trying to get revenge on Xavier and someone is hunting her the whole time. Oh. And even at one point, we get De- Detective Donner's story told as a cop movie. Lots more characters, amazing comedic actors. It is hilarious. It is smart. It is twisted. My favorite is definitely the musical by Ben Schwartz. Because he's glorious. Yeah. As always. As always is right. And I chose for this theme because I think in some way all the characters are obsessed with what happened in high school. Yeah. There are key events that you'll hear about that have, that everyone is convinced dictated the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the loves that got away, the rumors that were spread, the mistakes they made, they haven't been able to let go of that stuff, which makes them all suspects in the murder. The murder. The murder. Murder. So I think it's uh I think it's eight episodes. And each one about a half hour. Oh yeah. It's just a great ride. And like I said, the different stylistic aspects of it, so clever, so smart. And yeah, really enjoyed it. Okay, good. And you're gonna get Ben Schwartz's voice in your head. I love it. In a musical. I love the idea. That it's a musical for yeah. him. That's perfect. Yeah, it's basically Jean Ralphio. Yeah. Telling Which, his high school story. The greatest character ever created. Ever. Mm-hmm. Well, my pop culture this week, it needs a little explanation. Okay. So hang with me for a minute because I know <laughs> that we're all done with this and we oh. have been done with this, oh. but I'm recommending Joe versus Carol on Peacock. Oh. Right. Okay. So as you, many people know, because Tiger King took over yes. when pandemic first happened, yeah. right? And we were all like, what is this story? Uh-huh. Now, I had listened to the podcast way before the Netflix documentary, so I had some background. But as we know, then I nothing like what that documentary showed or you know series showed. So this is, um, it's a documentary style, but it's actors. It's John Cameron Mitchell plays oh, Joe, which is him. might be the single best. 
piece of casting I've ever <laughs> seen. And Kate McKinnon plays Carol. Yes. So knowing that, you kind of go in thinking maybe this some of this is going to be funny. And there are some parts that Kate McKinnon, you can see some comedic, some of her coming out. Um, and there's tons of other terrific casting. But why I'm recommending it is not necessarily because it brings a ton of new information, but it reminded me a lot of the Pam and Tommy oh. miniseries. And here's why. Because it did, in my opinion, the best job out of the podcast, the documentary, everything else, of telling Carol's side, which I don't feel we had gotten before. It tells a lot about her backstory, about how she grew up, about her first husband, about the husband she supposedly fed to a tiger, yeah. about all of these things. And truly, what was at the heart of this battle for her, which was actually never about Joe. Joe made it about that. It was never about that. She is truly at her heart, honest to God, an animal activist, mm. and knows, at least based on this portrayal, knows that some of her stuff is taken as a joke and, and doesn't care because she feels like there's a bigger purpose. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of that got lost in especially the Tiger King documentary. I didn't necessarily come away feeling like she was just a animal rights activist that really got screwed over. No, it was the story of a certified weirdo yeah. hating another weirdo. Right, yeah. yeah. And there there are some moments that you're like, oh, okay, it was an interesting way to portray it. They, You get a lot more of her and her husband now, Howard Baskin. Kyle there. McLaughlin, right? Yes, yeah. their relationship. And that is very interesting to see. Um, you see her daughter in this, her daughter's role, which we had never previously seen. And I... I had the same effect for me that it did with Pam and Tommy where I thought, man, I really didn't do a good job of looking at that from all sides. I didn't ever occur to me that there was so much more to this person than this sort of joke persona because Joe just takes over because everything he does seems impossible. Like, what? Did someone really say that? So you're you're attracted to the sideshow and you don't really ever look at what was happening over here and some of the amazing things that she was able to accomplish even before Tiger King was even a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, that she did for the animals and a lot of the things that got exploited for you know entertainment purposes actually had maybe more of an innocent explanation or made more sense in context just no one ever gave the context for it yeah. before so it's it's a really interesting for that I think Kate McKinnon and Joe John Cameron Mitchell are amazing Excellent. just such good acting um You'll know some of the story. I think some of the other stuff, you know, there's a lot of about his um, husband, Travis Maldonado, who is the one that shot himself. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of conspiracy about whether it was on purpose or an accident. Um, but you get a little more insight into their relationship. So I think it's, it's well done in a lot of ways. I could see it's received a lot of criticism and that's why I said it was worth an explanation because it's gotten like, Hey, it's not telling anything new or it doesn't mm. seem like it's giving us anything different. And I guess what I feel like is it is, it's giving us a different side they, they really took the time to say, Hey, no one's really told you about Carol's side yeah. of this, where she came from, what she was actually trying to do and why this is kind of like a, became a good versus evil battle mm -hmm. and why he got so much publicity because who could believe any of those things are happening? All that showboating, mm -hmm. peacocking. And it does a good job of showing him too. Like, is it really about Carol Baskin or is it really about being infamous? Yeah. Because there's a lot of decisions that you can see that he makes that you're like, huh, that's a, you know, if you were really after what you say you were, this might go down differently. 
Hmm. So it's it's got another scene, you know, just like in Pam and Tommy, there's that de- uh, deposition scene where you're just like feel for her. There's another scene with Carol and Joe's trial where you just feel this gut wrench of like, you're this is awful. Like you're oh. telling this woman who's been, you know, stalked and threatened and basically blown up, even though it was a fake doll that you know, that none of that matters. And it reminded me a lot when I was working this week on notes about like how far we have to come in stalking laws and how far we have to come in understanding that those things are big red flags to further violence and murder. Absolutely. Yeah. And we just don't recognize it as that as no because it's still like the oh it's just boys yeah it's just boys being boys yeah and, yeah you just uh, it wasn't you it was right. a fake doll you know and okay but isn't that a threat yeah so it it's interesting for that i mean i'm a diehard kate mckinnon fan Absolutely. so just you you should just watch it for the scene where she comes up with hey all you cool cats and kittens because she's like trying 50 things and she's like that sounds dumb I can't say that and and it also tells you why she decided to do that because it was a previous employee that stole her diaries and gave them to Joe and he started reading them oh my god so she started doing her thing as a response like hey you're reading these diaries out of context that have been my lifelong journals so imagine that if you're if you're oh, a person that a violation yes if you're a person that journals, you think that's a safe space. And that's what they, I mean, they use that sometimes as a technique in therapy, tell you to write everything down. Yeah, absolutely. It's a safe space. And someone stole that and then is using it as though you're advertising that and you're not. You never meant that stuff to be out there. It's very, there's a lot of points where you're like, oh God, I did not recognize that as the gut punch it should have been. Ugh. That's frustrating because like when we were talking about Pam and Tommy, it was like, oh, look at, you know, how mm-hmm. terrible we were 25 years ago. Yeah. And we're still doing it. Yeah. We're still so easily distracted by a sideshow that we're yeah. not good at looking at the characters. And sometimes it's, I think, especially disappointing as female, you know, viewers that we are missing the boat sometimes of being, you know, like yeah. I, was, I didn't ever think a second thought about it. I was like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Uh-huh. And, you know, you move on. But. Yeah, so I recommend it for that. I think it's an interesting retelling. Yes, maybe there's not new information, but, you know. And obviously pick for this theme because, Joe, good Lord. That's unhealthy, buddy. Never going to give you up. Could be a theme song. He will not let it go. For sure. I wonder if Rick Astley would appreciate us using this theme as, like, just bad behavior. I hope and so. almost murder. I, I think he would, too. I think at this point you yeah. should accept that that's I think so a too. possibility. Yeah, what if the whole time he meant it that way and he was it like got popular and he just had to pretend that it wasn't a stalking like, song? Like, no, it was just fun. Yeah, so why did you write this? I wrote it about the girl that broke up with me. They're like, no, you can't say that. You can't say that at the meeting. No, no, nope, no, no. Nope, at the nope. press conference, you just need to say that you love her so much. Exactly. And people will Pure eat it up. Love. Pure love. Not stalking at all. No, do not use the S word. Mm-hmm. You do not stalk anyone. <laughs> Never happened. You're just in love. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it just made me think of something. Hmm. Two fairy tales just jumped to mind. Oh. Cinderella and Snow White, both stalkers, if you think about it. All fairy tales are just... He sought out that glass slipper. He was like, I got to find this lady. Yeah. Didn't care if the lady wanted him. No. The lady was literally running away from him. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then Snow White, he stalked all the way into a forest. Yep. Thought she was dead and kissed her anyway. Yeah. There's a lot of kissing of almost corpses Mm -hmm. in fairy tales. 
but corpses that they thought were corpses. Exactly. Because like, it's not like he knew. Yeah. So I'm just going to make out with this corpse. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm rewarded with a live woman. Yeah. And now that I've kissed her, she has to come with me. Yeah. I mean, beauty and the beast. I used uh-huh. to really love that. And now you think about it. He just kept her in that castle. Yeah. 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 That's not, she was a hostage. That's hostage situation. <laughs> That's a hot. Were the townspeople wrong? We hated them for coming. Exactly. To get him. They were trying to rescue her. And their leader, Gaston, not great, but but wasn't yeah. wrong. I mean, you had a hostage situation. Exactly. Oof. And all these workers were hostages. <laughs> and they had to be other things. They did. They had to be candlesticks. They had to be and candles and teapots. And they had to sing. They had to eight. sing for their beast master. <laughs> At his disposal, which he's when he's trying to romance the hostage. And look at how little he does. He one time he comes down and growls and says, "Maybe in the courtyard." And then, and then oh, I'm in love. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> and then he gets mad and storms off, and everybody's like, "Well, he tried. <laughs> he you gotta tried. give him he some means credit. Well, he means well. You just you gotta meet him where he's, he's at. Just, yeah, he just you know he doesn't have all the manners. I'm pretty sure the... he's not gonna rip you to shreds." <laughs> You silly girl. <laughs> what? What? Yep, that's uh, that's true. Hmm. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. So, so. Moral of the story is: if we stalk you, you won't see us coming because we are invisible. Uh, yes. Yeah. And also, we're probably in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so you probably won't see so us. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> we're only going to stalk you at places that have restrooms. So if you want to lose us. Yeah. Listen, listeners, we're not going to stalk you. We're just going to keep giving you episodes every mm-hmm. two weeks, which I guess could be considered stalking. But no, it's just, it's, it's, it's what we do. It's there for you to take if exactly. you want. I am not showing up in your car pressing nope. your podcast player and saying, listen. We're not putting those headphones in your ears. We're no, not doing it. We're not doing it. We're not We're giving doing you it. choice. You have agency. You do. Yeah. We're peacocking over here. I'm a showboating, but <laughs> but you have the choice. You have the choice to listen to us or not, whether to see the showboat. Exactly. Yeah. You but can... why wouldn't you want to see the showboat? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, don't be dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, we'll be back in a couple weeks. Yeah. And in the meantime, happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) 
because now this is this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.